Well, hey, everybody. <laughs> Great to see you. I uh, hope you're doing well. My name is Alex Gromman. I am the Torrance Campus Pastor here at Journey of Faith. And hey, I switch out with Pastor Jason uh, for preaching every three or four weeks. So if we haven't been able to make a connection in this kind of context, it's so nice to meet you in that way. Um, hey, also, this is the time in our service where uh, we have people live here at Manhattan Beach. Thank you for being here at Manhattan Beach, everybody. Uh, and then also, we're connected live with our folks over at Torrance. I absolutely love the people at Torrance, and they got one guy class. Clapping, that's great. You know, clapping's an odd thing, because sometimes people clap, and they go nuts over at Torrance, and sometimes it's a mild clap, and then it's like, okay, well, what are we feeling today? So it's a good gauge of how Torrance is feeling, how much we clap for ourselves over there. And then, of course, great, if you're connected online sometime during the week, thanks for making church part of your week. Um, hey, we're continuing our series today. It's a five-week series called Doors, and it's about these landmark moments in our lives where we can recognize that God wants to be with us. God wants to have a huge positive effect on our lives, and we're challenging each other to think through how we could integrate a connection with God more, especially at these main pivotal moments. You can see that we're growing a list, even on the stages both here and at Torrance, of the topics we've talked about before. We started Last, uh, at the first week with this, t- this door of big decisions that we go through. And then last week, Jason talked about the other door over here, the door of change in our lives and how we face that. Today we're going to add another one that might seem pretty heavy, and you can see it behind me. Today our topic is we're going to be talking about how God can intersect with our lives when we face regret. Uh, It was a a haircut week for me. Uh, Some of you care a lot about that and my haircut schedule. Um, So I told the woman who was cutting my hair, I was like, this is perfect because either I will regret that I waited so long or I'll regret that I got a haircut. Either way, it's perfect for my message this Sunday. Um, Hey, I want to open with a story about regret in my own life, and thankfully, perfectly for the series, it is a door-based regret that I had, uh, so that's exactly on uh, topic. Uh, Many of you know that I've only lived here in Southern California for for five years, and previous to that, I lived a big chunk of my life in Minnesota. And in the final season, where we knew we were moving to uh, Southern California, we had to do all the preparations for moving that everyone does, including selling the home that we owned there in Minnesota. We loved that home, and it was seemed like a rush at the end. Maybe you've experienced that too. You know you're going to move, you know you're going to sell, but then the busyness, the tasks that need to get done in getting the house ready for a quick sale was a tough one. And during that season, uh, we had a family friend who was a realtor come over and just kind of give us some advice. And she walked through the house and pointed out a few tiny little things, but as she left, her one big piece of advice for us in getting our house ready for sale was she thought we needed a new front door. Uh, Ours was kind of ratty and old, and the glass was sort of faded that was on it. So she said it would be a nice, fresh way to do some uh, curb appeal to have a great new front door. I logged that in my memory, a great piece of advice, and then I forgot completely about it and did all the other things that it takes to get the house ready. It wasn't until kind of what it felt like the last moment that I remembered, oh, she said we need to change the front door out. And so I was just full of kind of embarrassment that I had forgotten and uh, kind of like, oh, worried that I was risking that, that the house wouldn't sell fast enough if we didn't have this front door. So in, those, in that moment of emotion where I knew I was behind the, the curve, I, I made a rash decision. And I watched one YouTube video on how to remove a front door, and I just went for it. I just removed my front door on my own. 
Um, here's a picture of my doorless house at that point. Now, you need to remember, this was in Minnesota. In Southern California, you don't get a home project done by the end of the day. You just throw a tarp on it. Everything's fine. Not in Minnesota. In Minnesota, the outside wants to kill you. And so <laughs> your house is your very thin protection against the cold and the snow and the rain that is, it wants to get in. Here we just have coyotes. That's easy. Just don't let the coyotes in. Um, I took this picture and then was immediately struck by enormous feelings of regret. I thought, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. Why did I let the voice of stress be the loudest voice in my life? As if I have to do everything on my own, I did it again. That's a habit in my life, a feeling like I need to take care of everything. Now, I watched one additional video on YouTube about how to put a door back on, and it's a much more challenging part of the process. Uh, it turns out there are lots of even sizes of door. Who knew that there were different sizes of door? I was in a bind. Now, thank goodness, I have a very loving friend uh, who's a handyman who came to my rescue that day. Uh, he helped me go to the store and purchase a door, and then by the end of the evening, we had it up uh, before the real danger sets in after sunset. It was an amazing rescue. Now, you may have never messed up a home project in Minnesota before, but I bet you've had those same feelings of regret that I have, where you've done something that's even a pattern in your life. You did that thing, and then you think to yourself, why did I do that again? Why am I prone to facing the same problems over and over? I know better than that. In my heart of hearts, I don't want to make that mistake, and yet I've done it again. Have you faced that? I know you have. This is the feeling you get when you procrastinate for the umpteenth time and you didn't do the work preparation you needed to and the presentation you have to do the next morning is just not going to be the quality you know it should be. This is, this is the mode where you, you, something happens in your life and you lash out in anger at a friend or a family member and the moment after you do it, you think, why do I always do that? This is a heavy topic, isn't it? We all walk around with this type of regret in our lives. By the way, if that describes you, if you live with regret, I want you to know today, you are in very good company. Welcome to the family. We here, are, we are a church full of absolutely normal people who deal with the same exact mistakes and problems that you do in your normal life. I hope that today you can hear something that might be brand new to you, which is that God loves you and he actually wants to work in our lives to transform, to redeem regret in our lives and lead us into a place of new life through his forgiveness. In fact, here's the main point that I want to put in front of us today. We can walk through regret into a new life and forgiveness in Jesus. The regret that we feel, God can use that. I know it's a scary thing, but God can use that for his purposes to help us reconnect with him in forgiveness and new life. We're going to look at this topic today uh, by exploring uh, the end of uh, a section, two sections of the Bible, which are both about the life of one of Jesus' disciples. His name was Simon Peter. 
And actually, just by the way, if you ever read your Bible, and you might notice that Simon Peter is sometimes called just Simon and sometimes just called Peter, it's all the same guy. (laughs) Okay, so it's a little bit confusing. But Simon Peter was one of 12 disciples that Jesus, during his time of traveling and teaching, chose to be with him at all times. They were like his closest friends, his closest students during his three years of public ministry. The section we're going to read today comes from these two spots, Matthew chapter 26 and John chapter 21. Both of these are from the very tail end of Jesus's life. And that's because, like I said, Jesus spent three years uh, choosing these disciples, teaching and, and publicly traveling around. But especially in the last year of his life, he started predicting, especially to to his disciples, that his life was not going to end in a positive way, that he was going to be falsely accused for crimes despite having lived a perfect life, and he was going to be murdered. And now his death was going to be the sacrifice uh, that paid the penalty for the bad things we've all done, that each of us have done. Jesus was going to die and take that penalty for us. Now, we know the end of that story, that Jesus accomplished that, is willing to forgive our sins, but you can imagine those disciples were like, what's that? <laughs> what? We're only three years into this thing, and you're, you're, you think you're going to die? That's not good news for any student to hear about their beloved teacher. But not only that, Jesus predicted his own death, and he also predicted how the disciples were going to respond to his arrest and trial and death, and it wasn't good news. Uh, So I want to show you a conversation on the same day, before he was going to be arrested, falsely accused of crimes and arrested, that same day, he had a conversation with his disciples, and it becomes a direct conversation with Peter, who was really hot-headed, one of his disciples. Here's how the conversation went. Jesus told them, tonight... All of you will desert me. Now Peter, again hot-headedly, said, hey, listen, if everyone else, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. I love this guy's confidence. No, he insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. All the other disciples vowed the same. We, we should admire his confidence here. He stands for his values. He wants to be a person that when push comes to shove, he is going to do the right thing. But just like us, at the hottest moments, the times when we need it the most, we are going to see him fail. We are going to see him, even though he wants to do the right thing, do the exact opposite. If that doesn't define each of our lives, I don't know what does. In fact, I love that in the Bible, it's not just religious rules to follow. We have stories of real people like Simon Peter experiencing what this connection with God is going to look like uh, for the first time in their lives often. So right after this conversation, everything that Jesus was predicting comes true. He is arrested, he is put on this sham trial, and he eventually goes to his death. But in that moment where he is arrested, here's how Matthew, one of the authors, describes the disciples' reactions. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled, (laughs) just like Jesus said. They do exactly the wrong thing, even though Jesus said, hey, you're going to do that. And they were like, no, 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 we're not. Now, to to Peter's credit, he doesn't completely run away and never look back. Instead, what he does is, as Jesus is being arrested by Roman guards, he follows from a distance. He wants to try to figure out, how do I stay connected? 
the guards bring Jesus to the home. It's late at night, in the middle of the night, to a home of a local religious leader where he's going to go through this sham trial. Peter, again, following from a distance, doesn't get into the house to see the trial, but he gets into the courtyard of the house. And in that courtyard, there's a kind of a bonfire happening where people are keeping warm. There's some extra soldiers, and the servants of the household are all there. And Peter settles in to kind of wait and see what happens. But here's what happens while he's sitting in that courtyard with these servants. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside of the courtyard, and a servant girl came over and said to him, you are one of those who was with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. This is exact, with all of the foreknowledge that Peter had, the, the precise prediction that Jesus made, even with those things in mind, Peter's heart went the wrong direction. He did exactly what he did not want to do. Now, in that moment, you can imagine that regret hit him like a sledgehammer, where he has, he's got this, I just removed my door in Minnesota moment, where he says, why did I do that again? Unfortunately, Peter is about to learn something about regret and its negative effects on us that we may all have recognized but not put into words. Let me show you the lesson he's going to learn. He's going to learn that regret wants to push you further into embarrassment, avoidance, and misery. How often have you made one mistake that becomes five mistakes? How often have you done the wrong thing and then in your embarrassment, regret has pushed you further into that thing? where that outburst of anger becomes a tone of anger in your home or in your workplace. In fact, that, that kind of conviction slash embarrassment uh, probably finds its purest definition in this word, which is this, shame, where you feel that hot tingle in your soul and you think, who am I supposed to be if I can't even get the basics of who I want to be right? Have you felt that way? Well, we're going to see Peter dive deeper, go further. Regret doesn't want to let him go. It wants to tell him, where you're in trouble now, you might as well double down, triple down. Here's how that looks in Peter's life. He's already denied Jesus once. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, hey, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man. Now he's making promises. He, he, he's to the point of saying, I swear, I don't know the guy. Okay, but then he goes further. Here's one more. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, listen, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. Now, this English translation of the original Greek might actually not point it out as much. He's not only swearing at himself, he's swearing at them. He has a point of rage inside him where he's like, you bleeping bleepers. I don't bleep, but no, the bleeping bleep, because he's going off. Okay, this is Peter unhinged. Don't fill in those blanks in your mind, just keep it a bleep. <laughs> Finally, God intervenes. Through the prediction of Jesus, he's exactly right. Here's what happens that very moment next. Immediately, the rooster crowed. It was the morning. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. They even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Bitterly weeping. Now, that's hard to hear that Peter's end result of the story was him weeping bitterly. But I want you to know that this is the good kind 
This is the good moment where Peter is finally emotionally honest enough to say, oh, I've done something. I need to stop the digging deeper that regret has me in, the cycle of problem that has me in, and finally allow myself to feel the wrong that I've done. Have you been there? In fact, I want to take a moment and just encourage you. If you have been hiding something, if you have been doubling down on a mistake you've made and you have finally reached the point where Peter has, where now you're just broken over it. You've even found yourself weeping, crying, feeling that lowness, the the very bottom. I want to tell you that God can use that moment in your life in a powerful way. And you are going before so many people in a brave way to learn this lesson that Peter's experiencing, overcoming regret requires some sorrow. We, we have to be vulnerable enough to feel the wrong we've done. Now, by the way, though, just because we know that this is true, you can't go out unscathed, we also know that God's not like, good, I hope you feel terrible. I mean, no, it's God is just the opposite. He wants us to be emotionally honest, but inside of our sorrow, look at this other message. God wants to give hope inside of sorrow. Your sorrow is not wasted. God wants to be with you as you truly process the gravity of the things that you regret. In fact, that, when you're at your lowest, when you're feeling it emotionally, you're allowing yourself to come to grips with it, is when you are beginning the process, primed for the process that is almost the entirely opposite, the polar opposite of regret, and that is this. You are beginning this, the process of repentance. That is the opportunity. Repentance, remember, regret wants to keep you moving away from the problem you caused to do worse and worse. Repentance is a turning around to face the door that you've already walked through that you should not have walked through, to look at it, to contemplate it, to process the gravity of what you have done. Repentance begins there. In fact, the challenge I think that God would have for us is that instead of living only in regret, some of you have been stuck in a cycle of regret in your life, very understandable, but God has something new for you. The challenge is this. He wants to walk through the repentance, walk through repentance with the help of God and a trusted friend. Repentance, like I said, is a turning around and saying, God, I can't believe I did that. Will you forgive me? Will you show me your love? God's answer is always, 100% of the time, his answer is yes. Now, the reason why I say a trusted friend is that, by the way, repentance is an, an a mysterious, beautiful process that is literally between your spirit and God in your life. It's a direct connection. You don't need any in-between person, but a trusted friend can be that hand on the shoulder to encourage you, to, to remind you, hey, this is where God is taking you. Here's how he wants to help you turn around. So in that, in that experience of when you're feeling uh, the, the weight of what you've done, it's time to experience the love that God has for you. He wants to forgive you. He is available for that. In fact, I don't want to even end. We're only halfway through. I want to tell you the second half of Peter's story. Because right after Peter does this terrible betrayal, comes to grips with what he's done, he's starting the process of repentance. That's when the challenging parts of Jesus' life start full. Jesus does, in fact, he's crucified. He's killed, murdered on a cross. And he goes to his grave. Now, 
You know that that's not the end of the story if you've been at church at all because after three days, Jesus conquers death itself and is raised back from the dead and he appears many times to his 12 disciples and many others. And in one instance, these guys, all of his disciples are in a boat. They went back to fishing, which was a lot of their previous career. And Jesus appears to them on the shore when they're fishing. And he's calling out to them on the shore and Peter sees Jesus. And instead of saying, ah, I still feel bad, I don't want to, he instead sees Jesus, the person he's wronged, he dives into the water, swims as fast as he can, and Jesus and Peter come face to face on this beach. It's a beautiful picture that all is forgiven. All is reconnection with Jesus. Peter has learned the ultimate lesson when it comes to regret. I want you, if you're a note taker, write this down five, six, seven times in your notes. Here it is. Nothing you've done wrong is beyond Jesus' forgiveness. No affair, no underhanded business practice, no bad financial decision, no pain that you have caused, no outburst of anger, no pride or secret lie is too much for Jesus to redeem and restore you through his forgiving heart. He conquered death itself, he can handle your poor financial decision. He is ready to be the God of the universe. Yes, the creator God who created everything, and we say, that's nice, God, but you certainly couldn't forgive me. He can forgive you. Jesus has this moment where they actually have like a nice little fish breakfast, uh, grilled fish breakfast on the beach, and then Jesus spends one more conversation, private conversation with Simon Peter. It's a beautiful thing. I want to show you what he does. Uh, Here's Jesus. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than any of the rest of the disciples? He's saying, yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Now, that seems very weird to us, like, what? (laughs) <laughs> what are you talking about, Jesus, with the lambs bit here? He, Jesus is using an, an analogy he, uses, he used often in his teaching life. He loved using the picture that Jesus was the good shepherd who cared for the flock of people that were choose to follow him, God's people. And what he is saying to Simon Peter in this is he's like, Simon Peter, I don't just want you to worry about making the mistake. Instead, I want to give you a new job, and your job is the job I've been doing. Your job is to take care of the flock, not to worry about your own pride, not to worry about the things you've screwed up and you regret in the past. You've got a new marching orders, Simon Peter, and that is to take care of the flock. Be active in something brand new. Go a new direction. And he doesn't just tell him this once. Here's how Jesus continues. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said, new direction he's giving him. One more time, a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter by then was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Follow me. Now it's hard for us to know that this got to the point where Peter's like, oh, Jesus, what's going on here? Jesus is forgiving him, restoring him. How many times? Three. How many times did Peter screw up? Three. Jesus is going to restore Peter as many times as he needs. Jesus will doggedly in your own life try to remind you you've got a new calling, something new I want to put in your life. Follow me. Be about the business that I'm about. I know you've messed up in the past. It's time to do a new thing. Now remember the lesson that we learned before about regret was this. 
Regret wants to push you further into embarrassment, avoidance, and misery. Jesus is just the opposite. Here's Jesus instead. Jesus wants to push you into true strength, forgiveness, and restoration. He wants you. We have this resolve around sin where it gets bad and we're just like, I'm just going to do that bad thing anyway. Where Jesus is like, I want a new resolution from you. Here's what it is. He wants us to resolve to go forward on a new path. What is that path for you? Something that occupies you, gives you a new vision for life. He has that for you. You can discover that with a group of friends. I know that some of you are doing that in your life groups throughout the week right now, talking about these topics and saying, how can I live a new life? Those discussions are pivotal. In fact, I want to close today uh, by telling you about a a struggle I am personally going through with regret, something that's uh, happening in my life. I have been working uh, with a couple close friends here in my job and then also in my life with a problem that I have, and it has to do with, maybe some of you can relate, it has to do with the way I handle stress at work. I am a leader around here at the church, and this might surprise you, being part of leading a church is a stressful thing. Just like your jobs, we have stress too as pastors. Uh, In fact, you know that we do this multi-site thing, and I'm often at Torrance, and there's a lot of tech coordination and volunteer ministry programs that need to be replicated over there. And so there is a heavy burden that happens in a good way in doing church work in my job. And so often, there are Sunday mornings long before other uh, of you have, uh, have arrived to attend church service, we're working with volunteers and staff to kind of coordinate the connection between the two campuses, and those can be very stressful moments. I can get very stressed. Now, stress isn't bad in itself. Well, we all get stressed, but some very helpful people in my life and on staff are helping me understand that I am prone to a damaging behavior where sometimes when I'm stressed, waiting for things to happen correctly, I just stand around being stressed. And it's almost like a picture of it like emanating out of me and gushing onto the people around me. Like literally in a 10-foot radius, people are like, ugh, that guy is freaking us out. (laughs) Now listen, maybe you've been there. Where I do, I, 90% of the time, I'm not even saying anything. I am just pulsing stress. And the volunteers and staff that are around me feel it. And listen, I, maybe you've experienced this, but it is harmful. And it makes them feel like I don't trust them. It's wrong. And I regret it. I don't want my volunteers to feel like that. Now, I can tell you, when this was brought to my attention, I wanted to do all of the same things Peter did. I was like, no, no, you're crazy. Or the anger response, oh, you think I was stressed then? You haven't seen me stressed. Have you ever done that in your life? Instead, you know what I've been trying to do? Receive it. I'm trying to enter into repentance, and in that way, I am learning three lessons I want to share with you. Will you come along on this journey with me, not to make me feel better, but to honor God with your life the way I am trying day by day to do that myself? Here's the number one thing I needed to remember. Remember that you are loved. Even the people approaching me about this, they want good for me. They want me not to stress at them, but they also want me to be more Christ-like. They care and love me in your life when people say to you that they are so brave enough to say, ugh, when you got mad, it hurt my feelings. Listen to them. They love you. When your spouse says, ah, that online shopping is a little bit out of control, how can we pull that back? It's time to believe them 
and to, to say that you understand and that you know that they love you. Here's the second thing. You need to repent and make a plan for change. Repentance is hard. Forgiveness is easy. Jesus loves to forgive. But the process of this new way of life, this new plan, by the way, in my situation, I need to work with other therapists and advisors about how my stress is getting to that point, but I can tell you what I can do instantly, which is be aware of that 10-foot radius around me and make sure that I don't stand next to wonderful volunteers while I'm being stressed. I just need to go somewhere else and sit down and cool off so that they don't feel like, geez, he wants to murder me. I don't. I'm just stressed. Finally, there's this point. And by the way, as I mention this point, we're going to sing one more song, so you're going to see the bands both here and at Torrance load behind me. You need to bring others into your plan. I need to tell those volunteers, hey, when stressful stuff's going on and you see me leave, (laughs) I don't want you to think I'm abandoning you. I'm actually trying to love you because I trust you. So when I leave, I want to give you the space to do the incredible work you always do. I'm going to deal with that in a different way, learn about my stresses, but for now I want to bring you in that plan. That's a terrifying step. Bringing people into your plan is an admitting to everyone who's involved that you have messed up. It takes bravery. I'm experienced. Will you join me in those three steps? Will you, will you live those things out? Follow God in those things? I know that some of you right now are suffering from the regrets that you carry. Those are too heavy to carry. There, there will still be consequences you need to walk through, certainly. But Jesus wants us to turn around to see and face the thing we've done wrong and see his beautiful love and forgiveness that can overcome that thing that has weighed you down so long. We need to return to the door of regret because Jesus is there, back where we fell. He wants to restore us in big ways. Allow me now uh, to pray and then we're going to sing one more song, Graves into Gardens, that talks all about how Jesus is the best possible thing and he can restore even uh, the death and grave he wants to turn into beautiful gardens as a symbol in our life may I ask both here at Manhattan Beach and at Torrance will you stand with me as I close in prayer and then we're going to sing this final song together let's pray Jesus you are a good a beautiful a loving a forgiving God and we open our hearts to you Jesus will you come will you rescue us from not just the pain of regret, but the cycle of problematic behavior that we're stuck in. And Lord God, give us a new direction. Reorient us so that we can follow you in a fresh way. Give us new life where we thought there was only death. Jesus, you're the only one who can pull it off. And so we give our lives to you in hope that you will care for us and walk us through this in a way that will bring you glory. Thank you, Jesus, for this family that we have that we can share with. I pray that you would connect us to one another even this week. Lord God, hear our song, hear our prayer this morning. We pray in your name.